Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The only podcast where I have watched a full season of Doctor Who and continue to watch Doctor Who and then tell you all about it. Yep. Um, so it's it's been a while for us since we've recorded one of these, but through the magic of our backlog, um, it shouldn't have affected our beloved listeners at all. But yeah, it's it's been a month. We, we took a, a month off um, in April to sort of rest on our laurels a bit and celebrate having completed a full season. Uh, That's true. Not only has it not affected our listeners, but they've actually, this is the third episode in three weeks that they'll be hearing because our our season one wrap-up was released in the off week. Are you sick of us yet, listeners? I hope not, because there's, <laughs> there's a lot more Doctor Who, and uh, yeah, we're, we got a ways to go. Indeed. A lot happened in April, though, not in Doctor Who, obviously, but but in other news, mm-hmm. uh, for example, we wrapped the D&D campaign. Yeah, that was just last weekend. Yeah, it, it it took me a little bit for that to like settle in. I know, like it, because sometimes we would schedule the next game like at the end of our game, and other times, you know, especially if somebody had to go, then we'd be like, okay, let's let's go to the chat room and uh, and schedule it there. And in my brain, I keep being like, oh shoot, we haven't scheduled the next one yet. It's like, no, mm-hmm. there is no next one. Well, you know, we might do the other stuff with the same the same guys but yeah uh, i'm sure we will yeah, I, in fact i have some campaign some plans in the back of my head but have not started working on them yet yeah we we finished the game on over a weekend on a saturday and a sunday we played both days mm-hmm. and then i actually ended up taking a sick day on the monday i took the day off work I was just so happy. <laughs> you had to recover. Uh huh. It, it was actually partially because of that game. I was like, you know, just kind of out of sorts for a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm not going to focus on work today. Yeah, no, that's a real thing. Like, I was reading this uh, gaming safety uh, guide about TTRPGs, and it was saying, like, you know, you got to give yourself time to kind of come, come out of it, especially if it was an especially um, like intense session. And, you know, this was the grand epic finale of of several years of, of real life gaming um mm-hmm. so yeah i imagine you know both in game and out of game there there were a lot of emotions there to process and and yeah like you were saying uh it was two days in a row and as the the dungeon master you kind of always have to to carry the the lion's share of the the I don't know, burden, maybe that's the wrong word, but like of the work of, of putting the game together and, and presenting the game. So yeah, that's a, that's a major undertaking. It was a lot of fun though. I was, I was glad that we did I'm it. Glad. And <laughs> glad to hear that. Yeah. I, yeah. It, you know, it, it feels very accomplishing to have seen, seen a campaign like that through all the way to the end. Yeah, I think it was of of all the RPGs I've played in, one of the few campaigns that have made it to the end, and I, it's got to be the the longest running one. Um, like you and I were in a, a Star Wars one many years ago, um, that also ran for quite a while. Um, but that one also kind of had a, you know, that some of the players came and went and, and stuff like that. Right. So, this one was the the same the same guys start to finish the same campaign start to finish 
And yeah, we, we certainly did just wrap the whole thing up. Well, I suppose that's not what our listeners are here to hear us talk about today, though. Oh, too bad, because we've already talked about it for four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we get into our first episode of the second season of Doctor Who? Well, one thing I wanted to, to quickly say before we begin is I did just get my second shot of the, the vaccine. Um, so if I seem slightly out of sorts for this recording uh audience i apologize it has nothing to do with the quality of the episode or the <laughs> quality of kyle's narration of the events of the episode um but yeah i am i am full of that sweet sweet covid juice so if i if i seem um to be lagging at any point um Please uh, cut me some slack here and go get your shot. I'm only one shot in myself, but I believe by our next recording session, I will have had the second. Sweet. Oh, hi, Matilda. Matilda needs no shots. She's <laughs> amazing as she is. Indeed. So this is obviously a new serial since it is a new season. And this serial was written by Lewis Marks. I'm I think that's Lewis. I'm never quite sure if that's Lewis or Louie. Uh if it was Louie then he's in the wrong serial. <laughs> that's true. He should have written where the previous one. Where were you during the French Revolution? Well, by virtue of this not being the French Revolution serial, we'll call him Lewis. Um, all right. Head canon accepted. <laughs> Lewis did go on to write a few more serials for Doctor Who, but this is his first. So, uh, I think I've said this before with previous writers. We hope it's a good one. Yes, we do. We always do. Especially knowing that we'll have him back. I um, hope he's a good writer if we're going to be stuck with him again. Uh-huh. Do you recall what sort of Cliff Dingler we had at the previous episode? Um, there was not much of one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I know that um, you know, that we we wrapped the the French Revolution. Um we all piled into the TARDIS. Yeah, they actually didn't really even have yeah, that's a like real Cliftingler. You know, the Land of Giants, I think, is the, the title of the next one. Yeah, we got the title Planet of Giants. Planet of Giants. Um, <laughs> yeah, other than that, it was basically just the Doctor kind of talking about, you know, searching the stars for our destiny or, you know, that oh, sort okay, of thing. Okay. Okay, yeah. Which does, of course, make this a great fanfic insert spot. Yes, I think we said it last time, but it's very important for you all to, to keep that in mind for, for all your fanfic. This episode begins with the Doctor checking the consoles, and he announces that they are almost at a planet. So I know normally we begin with like a, a recap of the previous episode, and it will show like the last few minutes of the previous episode. Is there any of that this time, or does it just go right into the new, the new uh, material? 
There was none of that. It was just straight into new material this time. Cool. Yeah. It's probably the first time that's happened, actually, since, you know, since the first episode. Fresh start for a fresh new season. Yeah, so he announces that they're almost at a planet, and Ian wonders which one. A good question. A <laughs> question. And the doctor's like, A.K.A. I do not know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Barbara burns herself touching a console. You know, she jumps back. It's, it's hot. That's not properly grounded. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the doctor checks it, and he's like, oh, shit, something must be overheating. Uh, thank you, doctor. So, <laughs> he asks Susan to go check the fault locator, and the fault locator has located a couple of faults. Yay, fault locator. It It is identified faults at QR18 and also at A14D. You sunk my battleship. I made the same joke last time. We used the <laughs> fault locator, and I do not care. Yeah, I think the fault locator probably just is trying to actually play a game of battleship. <laughs> you know, it, it does have like the code book where you can look up what the faults mean. Mm-hmm. But before they get a chance to do that, the doors of the TARDIS start to open and what? the doctor like freaks the fuck out. Mm-hmm. He starts shouting at Ian and Susan and Barbara to like get the doors closed because they haven't materialized yet. Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) So the three of them, you know, head over to the doors and, like, start pushing on them. And, you know, it takes some effort, but they manage to get the doors closed. And the doctor, you know, wipes the sweat off of his brow and continues with the landing procedure. Okay. And we see the tiny tot TARDIS materialize (laughs) tardis tiny top tardis first of the second season yep it it materializes and it's kind of among or between some big rocks doctor asks susan to go check the fault locator again but this time there aren't any faults oh good the doctor is still like really worried and kind of freaked out though and Ian and Barbara are trying to get him to tell them what he's so worried about, but he keeps putting him off. He's like, Oh, please, don't keep talking of the 20th century level. I'm talking about time travel. Neither of you can understand what I'm talking about. I can see that. AKA, there's something wrong, but I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> uh huh. Ian's just like, Yeah, that's because you never explain shit to us. Uh Uh-huh, Ian, that is a very valid point. Yeah. Barbara, you know, has some worry, and the doctor's like, oh, don't be childish, and, you know, he's in, like, total asshole mode. He goes to check the fault locator himself, I guess not believing Susan that there aren't any faults this time. So he goes to check it himself, and... He satisfies himself that there aren't any faults, and he comes back, doctor. and he's much more cheerful now. He actually apologizes to Barbara for being rude earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll kind of count that. He's like, Oh, my dear Barbara, was I rude to you just now? So I'm so sorry. I, I always forget the niceties under pressure. Please forgive me. 
Don't know how I feel about that conditional apology there, doctor. And, yeah. Uh, there's one thing about forgetting the niceties. <laughs> it's <laughs> not quite the same as like, I'm sorry I yelled at you and like, you know, talked down to you, but <laughs> uh-huh. mm. I was glad. I was glad he made some apology. Some I guess. attempt. Mm, yeah. All right. She forgives him though. She's, you know, probably nicer than we are. (laughs) (laughs) He asks Susan to turn the scanner on so they can see what's outside. But as soon as she does, the screen of the scanner blows out. Hmm. And now the fault locator's like, oh, by the way. (laughs) The scanner broke. Fault located. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Apparently, the way that the screen blows out was pretty interesting to the doctor. It was an internal explosion. Like, like it's something too big to explain. Yes. Hmm. Whatever that means. It's like you're trying to display a 4K video on a 1024 monitor. Right, exactly. He decides, though, that the atmosphere outside is safe, so they might as well just like head on out and see what's there. Okay. On the way out of the TARDIS, like as they're leaving, Ian asks the doctor again about what happened when the doors open. And the doctor's like, The space pressure was far too great whilst we're materializing. The strange thing is, if we all came out of it unscathed, <laughs> it's, it's most puzzling. It's a big mystery, my boy. Come along. The space pressure is the space the pressure that you get out in space. Right, because we all know there's a ton of pressure in space. And you don't want to be uh, crushed by it? Yeah. <laughs> Just like at the bottom of the ocean. Seems legit. You know, that's why that's why the astronauts like train underwater. Oh, it's right. to simulate the space pressure. Audience, uh, if you want to write to us, you can reach us <laughs> at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com. <laughs> Outside the TARDIS, the rocks that they've landed among are quite interesting seeming. As, you know, they all roll their investigate checks, it turns out that the upper portion of the rock seems like regular rock, but the lower portion seems to be very rough cement. Hmm. So that's pretty interesting. The doctor immediately suggests splitting the party. Uh, Wow. All right. Well, we're not very far yet into this episode (laughs) and not very far into the season. We might as well split the party. Yeah. Ian kind of sighs, but he agrees to it as long as they all stay within a shouting distance of each other. Okay. That's that's. That's good. So Ian and Susan head off in one direction, and Barbara and the doctor head off in the other direction. And the camera actually kind of cuts back and forth between the two groups a lot through the following sequence, which is pretty interesting. We start going with Barbara and the doctor, and almost immediately Barbara finds this large segmented thing that she thinks is a huge snake. Hmm. The doctor checks it out. It's like not moving or anything. So the doctor comes and checks it out and he says that it's dead. Barbara wonders if he's sure that it's not like just sleeping or something. 
and he's like, Oh, no, 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 it's quite dead. No, no. Death, you see, has its own particular posture and appearance. Are you going to check for a pulse there, Doc? <laughs> nope, you just looked at it. Well, it did have the posture of death, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, dead things have that particular posture and appearance. They do lie there, I suppose. Yeah. Meanwhile, Susan and Ian are also having an exciting time. Susan has found a large, white, oval-shaped object. Okay. It's, you know, like if you had a a white, a big white ball that was like stretched out. Hmm. Ian speculates about it being an ostrich egg because it's kind of like the same roundness as an ostrich egg, but or like the same sort of circumference, but it's much more oval. An ostrich egg would be rounder. Do we see all these things? Uh, yeah, we do actually. She's like holding this in her hand. It's you know can probably we, a, about a foot long, maybe. Can we guess what they are? Um, it was like a giant tic tac, is what it looks like to me. Hmm. I did have a, a pretty good guess of what the snake thing was, and turns out my guess was correct. So I'll I'll save that until it's revealed in the episode. Okay. Susan ends up finding this whole pile of these weird giant Tic Tacs, like dozens of them. And a little bit of further inspection reveals a giant ant. Oh, they're giant ant eggs. Yep. Yeah, this giant ant is like three feet long, probably, at least. I mean, I'm not very good at estimating these sorts of things, but probably a few feet long. Cool. It also seems to be dead. You know, they don't comment on its posture or appearance, <laughs> but but they say it seems to be dead. And how can you know? <laughs> Wonder what sort of a world could produce an insect that size? Says Ian. Mm-hmm. Well, uh. I mean, I don't know if this is getting too much away because I do, I do remember this serial from back when you did your blog, and I remember really loving it. Um, yeah, I may have actually showed it to you at the time. I don't remember for sure. Uh, no, I don't think we actually watched. Maybe parts of it, or I, I think maybe clips. Maybe I watched clips on YouTube or something. I know I watched clips on YouTube. I don't remember if you showed me any parts of it, but yeah. Uh, uh, should I say something? <laughs> yes, I will. Like, I wonder if it's the world that's really big. Or maybe when something happened to the TARDIS, dot, dot, dot. That space pressure did seem to worry the doctor, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. I'll just leave it at that for now with a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and a wink at the camera. Barbara and the doctor, you know, over on the other side of, of the set, mm-hmm. have found the other end of whatever dead snake-like thing that they found. And now that they've seen the other end of it, the doctor determines that it is a giant earthworm. Whoa. Now, except for its size, I could swear that it came from your world. He says. And Barbara's like, yeah, duh, that's why they call it an earthworm. (laughs) Did she actually say that? (laughs) No, I wish. No. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yeah, Gallifrey worms look quite different. They 
decide to just continue exploring these sort of channels they've been walking through. They're kind of like channels or canyons in these weird rocks. Mm -hmm. And the doctor thinks that there is some sort of pattern or purpose to the channels. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're like in a underground uh, ants nest or something. (laughs) I, I was, I don't remember this serial that well. Sure. Uh, Over back with Ian and Susan, they find a huge picture of night-scented stock, which I had to look up. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what that is. It is apparently a flower. Hmm. And yeah, this is like an advertisement for night-scented stock. There are some words. There's writing on this picture, including the word Norwich. Which, mm, of course, that's in England. is a place in England. Mm-hmm. Ian wonders if... Couldn't be part of a crazy exhibition. You know, where everything had been increased in size. Um, guess again. <laughs> You're getting warmer, Ian. Meanwhile, Barbara and the doctor find a large post. You know, like the probably the size of a telephone pole. And it is clearly machine cut and it falls over and the end of it is all charred. Mm. And the doctor realizes that it's a matchstick Mm -hmm. and he starts to put together what has happened. But we cut back over to Ian and Susan who continue their investigation And they find a giant match box, (laughs) which Ian, of course, climbs into. Like you do. Uh Uh-huh. Susan starts having the same realization that the doctor had. These things haven't been made bigger. We've been made smaller. Nice, Susan. Yeah, she gets the prize. The camera actually cuts back and forth like almost on every line between the two groups as both parties or both halves of the party basically have the, an identical discussion. Mm -hmm. The doctor says that there, we're all roughly like an inch tall and the TARDIS also. And then we get a camera shot that I have been waiting for weeks to tell you about Benny. Oh, good. We start out with a close-up on the Tiny Tot TARDIS from above. It's like the same, you know, basically the same angle and same location that we saw it at earlier. Mm -hmm. Kind of in a channel among some big rocks. But then the camera zooms out and out and out and it angles up a little bit. And it shows us the actual scale of the Tiny Tot TARDIS, which is sitting like nestled in between paving stones in a garden path. That's the problem. We came out of the wrong TARDIS. Uh-huh. <laughs> now we're the size. We're, we're, we're to scale with the tiny tot TARDIS. The, the space pressure shrunk the TARDIS down to the tiny tot TARDIS. <laughs> but, but yeah, I thought this was like the tiny tot TARDIS props shining moment. Yes, and we do love it. Hi, Kyle here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. 
You can let us know what you think of it by emailing us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or by tweeting us at doctorwatcher. You can also leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts and tell a friend. Anyway, back to the episode. Ian, Mr. Science Teacher, Mm -hmm. who told us way back in the very first episode of Doctor Who that he takes things as they come. Yes, he does. Doesn't believe it. (laughs) I love him. It isn't possible, Susan. It's ridiculous. Ian, don't ever change. (laughs) Except for the part where you got to believe women when they tell you things that are patently true. Uh Uh-huh. But, but yeah, he, he does seem to have trouble believing a lot of things, not just things that are told to him by by young women. Yeah, he really does. Susan's just like, fuck you, Ian. Work it out for yourself. The doors of TARDIS open. That means the space pressure forced us to reduce. Yeah, come on. Obviously. That's why you don't want to open your TARDIS at the bottom of the ocean either. Yeah. Is that what you want, Ian? You want to open the TARDIS doors in the bottom of an ocean, do you? <laughs> but, you know, before she can explain any further, the the set suddenly goes dark. You know, one of the stagehands turns off the set lights, mm-hmm. and we start hearing a rhythmic thunder, which the camera then shows us is a man walking across the garden. Whoa. And he picks up a briefcase, and he picks up a matchbox, and he walks toward the house. He picked up the matchbox? The one that Ian was in? Yep. And Susan starts screaming, calling for Ian. And Barbara and the doctor find her, you know, because they were all within shouting distance. Well, that was, yes, always a good call. If you're going to split the party, stay within shouting distance. And this is why, folks. Yep. So she explains what happened and that Ian's gone now because he, you know, had to climb into the matchbox. Sometimes there's a price to be paid for being a person of action. (laughs) The doctor, of course, realizes that probably somebody picked up the matchbox. And the camera shows us that, like, inside the matchbox, Ian is just getting tossed all around and, you know, thrown to the left and thrown to the right as the man walks across the garden to a chair near the house. He sits down and just sets the matchbox back down on the ground. So I assume that uh, the camera was, in fact, staying still and uh, the the actor had to toss himself back and forth yeah pretty in, much in the matchbox set Excellent. I, I think they rotated the camera a little bit oh okay as okay. he as he threw <laughs> himself back and forth classic. classic yeah susan tries climbing up the side of the paving stone so she can get a look and you know see what's happening but she's too short she can't reach the top barbara is about to go, but the doctor's like, no, we haven't had a bad 60s feminist moment in a while, so you'd better let me, since you might hurt yourself. Sigh. Yeah. I roll. So Barbara helps the doctor, old man, climb up the paving stone. (laughs) 
which basically involves like climbing up at herself in the process of helping him. Mm-hmm. And he looks out over the top and he's like, yep, there's a house way over there. And there's a dude sitting in a chair reading a notebook. Doctor can't really see if this dude in a chair has the matchbox or not, but you know, he's like, Oh, hopefully (laughs) (laughs) all they have to do is get Ian back and get back to the ship. Mm -hmm. And Susan's like, and then can you get us back to normal price? A valid question. (laughs) The doctor says, of course. Yes, I'll try. There's always a chance. Nice. Very very reassuring, Doctor. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, obviously they have to get Ian back first. Camera cuts to the chair dude who calls to his pet cat who Uh very studiously ignores him, you know, as cats do. What do you think, Matilda? (laughs) Is the cat cat doing the right thing there? She's ignoring the question. Of course. (laughs) And thus answering it. Uh Uh-huh. He gets a cigarette out of his cigarette packet, and he starts reaching down toward the matchbox and starts lifting it up off the ground, but then he drops it back to the ground when another man arrives with a lighter. Oh, no. (laughs) This other man is... Apparently, Mr. Forrester, and he's wearing a very nice looking suit. And as they start to speak to each other, we realize that the two of them have had some dealings over this chemical called DN6. Hmm. Chair dude. Are these dubious dealings? Uh, it's, it's unclear so far. So uh, I just have to assume that, yes. Yeah. The suit man seems like business type and chair dude seems like government inspector type. Hmm. Um, but he's like, you know, kind of the friendly bumbling sort of government inspector type. Oh, okay. So chair dude is like, on the surface, the N6 appeared to have all the characteristics of a major breakthrough in the manufacture of insecticide. Uh-oh. Well, and I can quite understand why you pinned all your hopes on it, particularly as my own minister was so enthusiastic. But the very exhaustive tests I have made show that the N6 is totally destructive. Even to people the size of insects? <laughs> Suit man's just like, yeah, that's the point, right? Kill everything. And... Chair dude's like, you know, some insects are actually good for gardens. Mm -hmm. We don't want to kill, like, everything. Mm -hmm. And as the conversation continues, it seems that Suitman and his partner Smithers have been trying to get approval from Chair Dude's government ministry to manufacture and sell this chemical, but it seems that they're not going to get that approval because it's too deadly or whatever. Mm -hmm. So chair dude who is officially on PTO as of yesterday 
he's going to call his office and let them know the result of this, you know, chemical certification process and mail in his report. And then he's going to head out on his sailboat tour of the rivers of France. Where quite conveniently, no one will see him for a long time. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Or or miss him should anything happen. (laughs) (laughs) Suit man's like, dude, can you at least just wait until like after your vacation before you file the paperwork? And chair dude is like, sorry, man, can't do that. And suit man says, do you know why I'm a success, Mr. Farrow? Because I've never allowed the word can't to exist. There's always a way, always. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Warning signs. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Chair dude says, Not this time. This isn't business. This is science. The formula is unacceptable, and I can't, and I do mean can't, Mr. Forrester, allow DN6 to go into production. Now I'll make that phone call. Oh, buddy. But before he can make the phone call, Suitman, Mr. Forrester, pulls a gun on him. Oh, boy. The camera cuts away back to our tiny adventurers who jump back as a giant bee falls from the sky, lands near them, and it's also dead. Oh no, poor little bee. The doctor is like, <laughs> What an awe-inspiring sight. Now what chance would human beings have, I really wonder, in a world of creatures like this bee? Mm, none at all. Well, we're about to find out, because we are the size of yep. tiny human creatures. And the bee is huge. He notices that... You know, the the DM asks them all to roll perception checks, and the doctor rolls high enough to notice that all of the dead things that they've encountered, like all these dead insects, have had the same distinctive aroma. Hmm. So he starts to think that maybe that's the scent of whatever it is that's killing them. I like when in TV shows and movies they mention what things smell like because, you know, we, the audience, don't get that. And it sort of mm-hmm. reminds us that uh, the characters are smelling things. Yeah. Not. Yeah, and this one was interesting because they don't necessarily present it as smelling particularly good or particularly bad. It's just distinctive. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. Susan's like... What worries me is all the different things that's killing Things that fly in the air, things that move on the ground, things that move under the ground. So indiscriminate. If I were a government agent, I would never allow its use. <laughs> Barbara wonders if it could kill them, too. And a valid question. Yeah, the doctor's like, probably, but don't foreshadow so much, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells everyone not to eat or drink anything. Or um, breathe more than you have yeah, to. Or, or even touch things. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't remember if he said that yet or if he's going to say that later. But, but at some point he tells them not to touch the, anything. Good advice. They hear a loud noise. And Susan's like, It's not thunder, surely. 
But the doctor... Oh, it's the gunshot. Yeah, the doctor thinks it sounded more like a cannon. Mm-hmm. Camera cuts to Chair Dude, who is no longer in his chair. He is now in the grass, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. Does he have that distinctive posture? <laughs> uh, posture and appearance. Posture and appearance. He, he does indeed the distinctive posture of laying on the ground. And Ian takes this opportunity to go ahead and climb out of the matchbox. He heads over to Chair Dude's face, and he holds a handkerchief up in front of Chair Dude's nose to, like, see if he's still breathing. But, you know, obviously Chair Dude's not, so, like, nothing happens with the handkerchief. I guess Ian didn't notice the distinctive posture and appearance. Yeah. I did think that this part was handled pretty interestingly, though, in terms of special effects. Because it looks like there's basically just a big screen filling up the camera frame that Ian is walking in front of, and Chair Dude's face is being rear projected onto the screen. Uh huh. I love I love these uh, these special effects in this serial. Uh huh. Um, I do think yeah I've seen, I've seen at least some of it on YouTube and it's it's just classic. Yeah, it's great. Know, projecting two different um, tapes or, or two different recordings at the same time and having characters be like, whoa, it's a giant whatever. And mm-hmm. it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, there's also a lot of, you know, it's all clearly in a studio is where they're shooting this. And, you know, there's plenty of, of shots with, like, matte paintings of, like, giant blades of grass and stuff like that. So that's pretty fun, too. Giant props of, like, the giant bee and stuff. Uh-huh. So good. I, I do wish a little bit that it was in color, but, you know, we take what we can get. Yeah. So, yeah, Ian walks up to the rear projection screen of Chair Dude's face and holds up his handkerchief. And, of course, the screen doesn't breathe, and so his handkerchief doesn't move. <laughs> It must be a screen. <laughs> we cut to a little bit later, and the party has reunited at this point. Ian has found everyone else, and he's told them about Chair Dude, and they're all starting to smell something that smells like cordite or gunpowder, and so, you know, it becomes pretty clear what happened to chair dude mm-hmm. Ian starts leading the rest of the party back toward chair dude. I'm not a hundred percent clear why they didn't just go to the TARDIS at this point, but they don't. They, well, they have to save people from this terrible, uh, terrible pesticide. Yeah, that's true. They, they, they bit the plot hook. They care a lot about the regulation <laughs> of unsafe pesticides. Uh-huh. So, yeah, they, they start heading back over to Chair Dude. Ian's leading the way, and the camera shows us a quick shot of Chair Dude's pet cat, who starts wandering back over to investigate. Dang it, cat, we're trying to, we're trying to avenge your owner. <laughs> Don't eat us. 
we see Ian, who's now led the rest of the party to the rear projection screen of Jardude's face. And Barbara is like... There's nothing but death all around us. Which is something that she complained about in the previous serial as well, I believe. Mm. Just being surrounded by death. Very, very goth, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Of course, here it's pretty literal. Like, you know, there's... They've been encountering dead insect after dead insect this whole time. Mm-hmm. And now there's, like, a dead person. Well, I guess if she were goth, then she wouldn't be complaining about it. Yeah, then she'd be like, oh, man, there's nothing but death all around us. Hell yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> she says... I mean, pests one can understand, but surely it's wrong to kill bees and worms and things, isn't it? Yeah, they help the garden. Yeah, and the doctor's like... Quite so. Both are vital to the growth of things. Thank you, doctor. But he says that basically they shouldn't worry about it too much. They should just get back to the ship. And he points out that it's probably actually good for them that all these insects are dead, because otherwise they'd probably get fucked up by some giant insects. Hmm. So they turn around and start heading back towards the TARDIS, and Susan screams because... They turn around, and the pet cat is right there, watching them with interest. And the words say, next episode? Yep. Next episode, Dangerous Journey. Guests of Madame Cat. <laughs> Madame Shut. Well, cool. Yeah, this is. Uh, I kind of wish that we had seen this serial. This might be one of the ones that we watch when we're post quarantine and we can hang out again. Yeah, I think this would be a good one for that. At least, at least a few episodes to really enjoy these uh, quality special effects. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend that our listeners look up some, you know, at least a few scenes from this one to, to see, you know, some of the, the grass mat paintings and the rear projection stuff. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. As well as, you know, the giant ant, you can't go wrong with a giant ant. <laughs> yes. A giant ant, if you will. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, dang, this is a, a really good one to, to start season two on. Um, it just seems, it feels so classic to have your characters like, you know, shrunk down to tiny size and having to encounter giant versions of, of insects and things and Mm -hmm. walking through giant grass and things. And, you know, this whole time they've theoretically been trying to get back home and here they are like the closest they've ever been. But but they're tiny now. Yeah, it even seems to be the modern day. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm looking forward to the rest of this serial. And, uh, yeah, can't, can't wait to see what other giant tiny things they encounter <laughs> along the way. Indeed. I guess they, they have a dangerous journey ahead of them. So yes. tune back in in two weeks to find out where that journey will take them. Indeed. 
Bye. Bye. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit 23 for the awesome theme song he made for us. You can hear it and the rest of his music at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. You can reach him at circuit.23 at gmail.com. I would like to thank Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and I would like to thank all you listeners for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. You can reach us by email at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com and on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed the program, please tell all your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts. Thanks for listening. haven't been made bigger. We've been made smaller. Smaller? We have been reduced roughly to the size of an inch. An inch? You, me, all of us, and the ship? <laughs>